This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Are Trump supporters more reasonable than you think? How does the national media portray the Donald? What happens to someone who spends a year straight on the campaign trail? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. I am pleased to bring on the show today, Sopan Deb, who covers the Trump campaign for CBS News and has filled up my timeline with quite a bit of interesting uh, Trump uh, facts and what's going on on the, on the campaign. So, Sopan, I can't thank you enough for joining us and lending us your insights. Well, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Terrific. Well, you know, I thought I could just start out with asking you, um, you know, how are we doing with that Make America Great thing again? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, covering the Trump campaign is very much, uh, it's, there's never a dull moment, which is uh, very, which is uh, always great as a reporter that uh, travels with him and goes to all his rallies. Uh, you're never bored. And uh, so over the last year and change, however long it's been, uh, it's been quite, quite an experience and one that I will never have again in my life. Okay. Uh, well, speaking of that, it sounded like, uh, do you have a record now? Uh, a record? Uh, what do you mean by that? You know, like uh, a police record? <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, I, you know, I, I was detained uh, by police in Chicago once in, in March, uh, but um, I was covering a protest outside, and uh, I guess a cop, police, multiple police officers, uh, I'm not sure what they were doing, but uh, they uh, threw me to the ground and... Uh, proceeded to arrest me, and um, even though I identified myself as press and had no contact with a cop, and there was, anyway, eventually, luckily, there were a lot of cameras rolling, and my cameras were rolling, and it clearly showed that I wasn't in the wrong, and uh, the charges were dropped a couple of days later, and thankfully, uh, we've, uh, I've moved on from that. So, was there ever any more of an explanation of, like, why they decided to throw you down to the ground and step on your neck and all these different things? No. There was no, there, there, there was never anything. Well, you know, had you seen that kind of thing in other cities? It sounds like you've been, I mean, how many cities have you been so far covering the Trump rallies? I think at this point, if I was to guess, uh, it was, I'm probably at roughly 40 states. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Now, what, okay. what is, is that the most violent you've seen these rallies get in Chicago? Well, um, no, not necessarily. Um, you know, in California, the rallies got pretty hairy. Um, in uh, uh, yeah, it just depends on where you are. I mean, we haven't seen anything like that in months. Uh, it's not since the California primaries. Everything else has gone pretty. Uh, you know, every uh, you know, it's just a geographic thing. Over the last couple of months, things have died down quite a bit. 
Okay. Um, what do you attribute that to? Is that just sort of a weeding out of the non-Trump supporter people who are now not part of the primary process? And so the general is coming up or, or less protesters? Or what do you think, you know, why, why is it happening that way? Uh, you know, I, it's a geographic thing, right? So, it, you know, in places with, you know, Trump has typically been campaigning recently in less urban areas and more like, like uh, t- tonight we're in Wyndham, New Hampshire. Yesterday uh, we were in Des Moines, Iowa. You know, places where, you know, uh, there isn't as much um, anti-Trump fervor, so to speak. So there really hasn't been – we haven't been in, you know, some of the most active protests I've seen, you know, San Jose, California, uh, Chicago, um, you know, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, we haven't been to those types of places recently. Um, and that, that's probably a strategic decision by the campaign to kind of go where his support is. So uh, we just have – it's a geographic thing more than it is a timing thing. Aha. And so um, do you think that you've changed as a person since starting your coverage? Oh, yeah. You know, this is a a very intense experience. Um, You know, you're away from your friends and family for months at a time and you're you're in three states in a day. You're uh, not keeping in touch with anybody. Uh, You, you know, I wake up. I spend my day and I go to bed thinking about Donald Trump. And so, yeah, that definitely changes who you are. You know, the the people, uh, you're just not living real life right now. You're kind of in a bubble and it's a very intense bubble and it happens to be a bubble, you know, a front row seat to the most unique presidential campaign, you know, possibly in history. And so it would be an intense experience if it was a normal campaign, but because it's already kind of this hyper, uh, you know, strange campaign, it, it changes, you know, it just changes your outlook 100%. Well, I mean, do you feel like, you know, are you, are you sort of uh, optimistic at this point about, you know, the America in general? Do you feel just worn down from the travel or do you feel like there's hope uh, as we go forward and with our either our political process or our just our standing in the world? Well, uh, so I'll, there, there are a couple questions you asked there, so I'll just kind of each each one at a time. Am I and I worn am I worn down by the tra- by the travel? I, I think any campaign reporter that does this uh, for this long, you know, there's a group of us um, on both Hillary Clinton's campaign and Donald Trump's campaign. Anyone that's done this for a while will will you know they're lying if they tell you they're not worn out. Of course, we're worn out. You know, uh, it's just how it is. Uh, so yes, uh, in terms of hope for America and all that, to be honest. Um, it's so go, go, go. You know, you're in so many states today. You're, you're just trying to get to the end of the day. You don't really have that much time to sit back and critically think about what's in front of you. You don't have time to think about, okay, how does this affect me? How does this, you know, what's the, what's the impact this is having on me? You don't have time to think about it. You're just going from place to place. You're just trying to stay above water and make sure you're getting all the news out. So I haven't really had enough time to pause and think about what is – going on in front of me. I imagine that will happen in November when I throw my phone into an ocean and I lay out on the beach somewhere for a while. Mm-hmm. But um, but you really don't have the time to critically think about it. Now, are you also, uh, you're, you're filming a lot of the stuff that you're at with a camera in front of your face for a lot of the time, right? Yes, yes. So do you feel yes. like that is a buffer? I mean, I know when I used to do a lot of filming as well uh, and it'd be some insane stuff happening, the, the camera and the lens and perhaps the black and white viewfinder sort of separated me as well. I feel like I didn't, I, I didn't really realize until much later like what I was in the midst of. Did you feel like there's a buffer there because of that? Uh, no. Uh, you know, it's, it's not like it used to be where you have these giant, giant cameras and that make you – know, now you get the same quality cameras you know, 
for about half the size. So when I'm interviewing someone and I'm putting them on camera, it's a little bit more of an intimate experience because it's just me and it's just a small camera. And so I'm able to, you know, at least I like to think that I can talk to these people, mm-hmm. you know, these supporters or, you know, or anti-Trump folks and I can, you know, talk to them as if I'm, I'm having a real conversation with them, you know, just at a bar or something, you know? So it's, it's, I, 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 I don't, you know, I feel that I'm able to have, maintain a level of genuine intimacy with, you know, the people that I talk to when I'm on the road. Okay. Well, you know, what about this? You know, we, we, we definitely hear a lot about um, the, uh, what Trump supporters are like, who they are. It still seems kind of a vague uh, generality. Can you give us some insight into what you've experienced with Trump supporters and, and you know, who these people really are? Yeah. So the, the first thing I would say is these are very, very passionate, loyal people. You know, it's funny. There's a, there's a time in Iowa, Donald Trump said something along the lines of, uh, I can go out and shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and I still would lose any support. And, you know, he kind of got a little bit of blowback for that. But the truth of the matter is he's not wrong. <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. I mean, in fact, the, the day he said that, I remember asking a bunch of Trump supporters in Iowa, hey, if Donald Trump shot somebody on Fifth Avenue, would he lose your vote? And a number of them said to me, well, it depends. And, and so that kind of gives you insight to how loyal and dedicated his people are. Um, in terms of the demographic makeup, uh, mostly Caucasians. I mean, if you go to his rallies, it's mostly white people. But in that group, you know, it's not, you know, you're getting people from varied locations, you know, varied income groups, um, you know, uh, varied age groups. Um, again, it depends on where you are. Like, you know, a couple of days ago we were in Florida, so you're obviously getting a little bit more older retirees, that kind of stuff. But there, there is a, a prevailing sense of we don't want things, you know, or we want things to change, but to change back to what it used to be. You know, there is, you know, there is a prevailing sense, especially in places like Pennsylvania and Ohio, where you, you know, you know, you have lots of like kind of blue collar, you know, steel jobs and coal jobs. Well, that the country is kind of getting away from them a little bit. Um, that they're kind of being screwed by the, um, by the, by the machine, by the, by the system, and you know, and Donald Trump has very much been able to kind of play that to his message. Uh, so yeah, so it, it's 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 varied. But, you know, the motivations kind of vary depending on what geographic location that you're in. Interesting. So you don't you don't think that the people living in Pennsylvania or, you know, steel workers or coal workers, they don't really think that those jobs are going to come back, do they? Uh, I think they do. If the ones that go to Trump support Trump rallies, they 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 think they'll come back if Donald Trump is elected president. Sure. Okay, uh, that, that's a little bit interesting. Um, now, when you say "Make America Great Again" and they want it to be again great, you know what what era do we think that we're talking about in, in you know in the timeline? You know, it depends uh, who you ask. You know, um, a lot of them will say the '80s when Ronald Reagan was president, which is you know a fairly uh, stock Republican answer. But they feel that was when. That was the last time that there was this true American leadership, you know, in in the world. Um, You know, I've heard some people say the 50s and 60s, you know, that kind of stuff. But for the most part, what I generally hear is, you know, the the 1980s when Reagan was president. You know, Reagan is very much still this conservative, you know, icon. And so, you know, so it's not surprising that when you go to the Republican nominees rallies that you hear them say, yeah, we want to go back to the Reagan era. 
No, it's not entirely surprising. Okay. Now, do you have an opinion on that? And what, you know, I don't know, how, what, were you alive during the Reagan era? Uh, I was alive at the end of the Reagan era. I was born in 1988. Okay, so you don't remember. I, I certainly do. <laughs> I grew up right in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, my impression at that time was, uh, well, you know, I suppose if you want to overlook some of the governmental stuff that was happening that was corrupt, uh, you know, with Oliver North and uh, the Iran-Contra, which is Reagan, uh, it, it often felt to me that when we look back on it, that, that economically, that was when the divide between the middle class and the upper class really became separated and hasn't gotten close since. Uh, I suppose that doesn't really resonate with people who are in that middle or lower class who want to go back to that time. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know, when you talk to a lot, but I mean, factually, look, you know, if you look at the economy, uh, it has, you know, un the unemployment rate has gone down, wages are beginning to creep up, uh, you know, uh, the stock market is much better than it was in 09 when, the, when President Obama took office. Um, before the, and, but, you know, even, you know, Democrats will say, look, the economic recovery has not reached everybody. And so, uh, and so a lot of these Trump supporters, you know, you know, the fact of the matter is for the blue collar, you know, kind of steel types that are attracted to Trump, for them, they don't see the economic, economic recovery. They just see income inequality growing. They just see kind of the system kind of leaning towards, you know, the top one, the top 2%. And Donald Trump, in his message, has kind of said, look, I am going to be able to lessen that gap. I'm going to save your jobs. I'm going to make your lives better because I'm Donald Trump and I can negotiate my way. And I'll make the best trade deals. I'll make the best political deals. You need to trust me. And his people do, unequivocally. They don't need policy specifics. They just believe that Donald Trump is going to be able to save this country. Um, okay. Well, you know, I suppose there's always the ability to convince people from a, from a loudspeaker and a, and a microphone. Um, you know, I'm kind of curious as far as your personal experience. Um, do you do you get discriminated against? Do you feel like you know people see you? And I, not, not that anybody can see you on the podcast, but you certainly, um, you know, in. in your background would indicate that perhaps people would would think that maybe you're not from this country in, in this weird way, even though you obviously were born here. Uh, do you ever feel that experience uh, firsthand? Um, so let me let me first qualify this by saying the vast, 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 vast majority of Trump supporters that I've talked to, and I've talked to many, many, many of them, are very friendly, very uh, genuinely are willing to talk to me, share their views with me, and are genuine in those views. So the vast, vast majority of experiences I've had on the trip. Now, have, there have been a handful. You know, I've been asked if I'm a member of ISIS. I've been told to go back to Iraq where, um, you know, uh, I've had a couple of those, sure. But that has, that has been more um, the exception than it has been the rule. So uh, I, guess, I, I guess what you're asking is are, are Trump supporters likely to harass me because of my skin color? Uh, the answer is no. At least that has not been my experience. Uh, have there been a couple? Are there some fringe people that go to his rallies? Yes. Uh, that's, that's definitely the case. Um, the New York Times just did uh, uh, released a video over the last year of unfiltered Trump supporters where they have just cut together a supercut of you know, some Trump supporters saying incredibly racist things at his rallies. Uh, have I seen that? Yes, I have. Uh, it does not encompass the majority of the people that I've spoken to, uh, whether you know anybody disagrees with that politically or not, the vast majority I have 
ha- experiences I've had have been positive from Trump supporters. Okay, well, that's good to hear. Uh, the last person we had on uh, did, did had a, the opposite view of that. But I guess that, that my next question would then be: Is as a media member who has access with a you know credential. Um, what kind of access do you really have at these rallies? It sounds like, you know, there's an area that you guys need to sort of be in. And do you get a chance to get out of that and, and sort of mix with the people and really get a, on the boots on the ground feel for what's going on? Yeah, so there, there is what's called a press pen where we are confined to while he's speaking. But um, beforehand and afterwards, you know, we are free to roam around and talk to as many people as we so uh, am I able to talk to voters and stuff uh, at rallies? Yes. Um, uh, do we love not being able to go to the rope line when Donald Trump is shaking hands and yell questions at him? No, we don't love that. But, you know, um, uh, that, that's how it is. It's been like that since the fall, um, and that's, that's just how it is. And uh, we don't have to be happy about it, but that's, you know, that's how it is. Okay. Um, and so do you, do you get the sense, I mean, you know, it sounds to me now like perhaps the notion of racism has evolved a little bit where uh, what I've seen a lot of the different videos that pop up uh, tend to be, um, you know, homophobic, misogynistic things that seem to be couched in, you know, well, it's OK if you are gay, but I'm now going to spout out all these horrible things, you know, out loud and, you know, yelling or whatever. And I'm wondering, and it's sort of a half-baked idea that I haven't developed all the way yet. There's some notion of, like we have, there is some evolution in, the, in, in our country and in you know, the, the racist, perhaps, tendencies that have existed for a long time. Um, like there is some notion of tolerance, yet it's still, uh, the words are still there. Does, does that ring true at all to you? Uh, well, to be honest, I'm not, I'm not quite sure uh, w- w- what you're asking, um, but... Again, look. <laughs> I'm not sure I am either. <laughs> okay. Uh, look, you know, again, look, there are a bunch of people. There's there's a subset of Trump Trump supporters that definitely, uh, you know, are kind of on the on the fringe side, right? Look, I was at a rally in Los Angeles, and Orly Tates was there. Orly Tates was the queen of the birther movement four years ago. Um, you have people that do yell, you know, screw Islam, you know, or, you know, Obama's a Muslim. Yeah, you do have that. But again, the majority of the people that I meet are, you know, whatever you may think of their political views, are there because they genuinely, you know, they genuinely want to see Trump elected president. They believe in his views, but they're not yelling or being outwardly racist, they're just there to genuinely attend a political rally. They're not there to, you know, kind of, you know, cause cause ruckus or ex- express discrimination in any way. Uh, so, I, you know, again, I, I have, you know, as I said, I have experienced, you know, I see in person people yelling racist slurs. I've seen that, but again, just to be clear, that is not the that's not the entirety, or does that that does not represent the entirety of the Trump supporter demographic. Okay, well, well, you know, we we hear Trump say say things as well that would would be interpreted to some degree as either racist or xenophobic. Uh, his new term, I think, is is terror territory. Who is from a terror territory? And when he starts to you know dis- discuss how he wants to keep people from these the long list of countries now out of the uh, of America, 
the the overall response to me from my seat on watching on TV does seem to be that everyone is whipped up into this sort of frenzy and, and cheering this and wanting this to happen. Uh, is that what you're seeing when you're down there? Well, I will say this about the Muslim ban. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that he says it's a territory ban now. But the bottom line is that the original Muslim ban is still on his website. And he has not provided a list of countries that immigration would be banned from. And in fact, uh, two weeks ago on Meet the Press, he said um, that, uh, you know, that he was not rolling back the Muslim ban. He was actually expanding it. So uh, what, is that, what does that mean? And so it's, uh, the, I have myself reached out to the campaign multiple times trying to get clarification. I asked Donald Trump at a press conference if the Muslim ban – if the quote-unquote territory ban would involve religion. He kind of said no, but people can change their minds. Uh, the, as of right now, look, to, to be honest, we don't know what this policy is, and I'm not sure if the campaign does either uh, because it's – you know they haven't listed the countries. And then the original Muslim man is still on the website, so uh, we just we just don't know. And, and and until we get a little bit more clarification as to what this policy is, uh, you know, it, it's tough to kind of talk with authority on something that it's just another long list of things that you know Donald Trump is being vague about. Right, a long list. Um, well, let's let me ask you this: talking about you know Trump and what he said. Uh, what do you have a favorite Trump quote so far? Oh man, oh, there's a bunch of good ones. Um, the one that never gets old to me is uh, you know, he had, at the end of some rallies, he'll go on this kind of screed about winning, and he says uh, <laughs> he'll say you're gonna uh, he'll he'll say he's in uh, I don't know Green Bay. He did this in Green Bay last night. He says uh, you guys we're we're gonna win. We're gonna win. We're gonna win on trade. We're gonna win on immigration. We're gonna win on the Second Amendment. We're gonna win on health care. And you and your quarterback, referring to Aaron Rodgers, you guys are gonna call me up from Green Bay. And you're gonna say. Uh, Mr. Trump, Mr. President, sir, we're tired of winning so much. You need to stop winning so much. And then he'll say, no, we're going to keep winning because we have to keep winning. And that's how he ends his speech and gets the crowd whipped up. And he just and the whole speech is about winning and winning, you know, how we're going to get so tired of winning. I, you know, that is just such a – it's such a remarkable – I'm used to it now because I've heard it so many times. But it's such a remarkable – sometimes when I step back, I say, that is a remarkable – you know, way to end a speech, and the crowd is whipped up, and they just and he ends the speech, and they're just going crazy. It's as if he's just you know Springsteen playing you know Born to Run, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's really something. But that's probably that's probably my favorite Trumpism is when he goes on the winning rant to end the speech. Oh, now how about that? Is there do you have a favorite most ironic song that they're going to play at these rallies that people want to sing to or cheer to? You know, I have actually uh, I hear the same soundtrack at every rally, and when you hear it three times a day. And you've heard the same soundtrack for eight, nine months. You are you start tuning it out because you don't want to listen to it anymore. Because you know. Um, but I will say uh, the the funniest. The mo- the, I really uh, loved when he would uh, he play a. You'd appreciate this as a basketball guy. He used to uh, as a walk on or a walk off song. He used to have a, a jock jam. Uh, play him on and off. Uh, that always cracked me up. That was always funny um, to me. If, uh, you know, like one of those Space Jam songs and. Oh. Uh, and so that that always made me laugh. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I tune out the soundtrack at this point because you, I've just heard it too many times. Well, you know, let, what about your worst memory of this assignment you've had over these last, these last few months? Is there, is there a, the worst moment you've had so far? I guess it could be getting arrested. Um, 
Huh. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's it. I, I don't, you know, I, again, you know, you're asking me a question that requires a little bit of critical thought, and I frankly have not had time for it. <laughs> In the last, <laughs> you know, I just, I'm just so busy. I haven't had a thought. Uh, uh, thought. Okay, what was my least favorite moment? What was my be- best moment? You know, well, I haven't. I just, I just don't have time for it. I'm, 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 I'm just trying to keep my head above water, man. Um, yeah. So I haven't had time to think about it. Okay, I, I hear you. I mean, I, it's it's probably hard for a lot of people to understand just what it is you're going through, uh, and it's great to even get a glimpse of it here. Uh, sorry, so how many months has it been since you've been on the trail? Uh, so I've been covering the campaign since the beginning, since June 16th of last year. Um, I was kind of doing spot. I wasn't on the road as much last summer, and then I think September is when it really ramped up, and where you're you're gone for weeks at a time. Okay. So close, close about a year, I would say. Wow. Um, I mean, yeah, that, that is as intense as I can imagine. Having covered, you know, NBA events like that and but on, on a smaller scale, uh, I, I can't imagine what it's like to have to travel that much. It sounds like you're taking multiple planes a day. Yeah. 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 That's got to be rough, too. I mean, who knows what the effect on your body could be going up in altitude like that so often. But uh, that, it's, it's a lot of stamina you must have. I guess you, you see, having been born at the end of the Reagan administration, at least you're young enough to have some energy. Uh, I, I don't know how I would do that. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things he's been speaking about recently that I think is on everyone's minds. Um, you know, what do you make of this whole baby thing that he keeps bringing up? Uh, is that, is that even an issue? Uh, I, <laughs> uh, you know, look, uh, it was a strange and funny moment at a rally in Virginia. There are many of them. Uh, it was what's interesting about Donald Trump is that he does not seem to let things go. Um, he does not, you know, so any slight grievance that he feels he will litigate. It's just how it is. He'll litigate it for a long time. And a good example you know, out of nowhere, over the last week or so, he started talking about the Megyn Kelly thing from Fox News or Serge Kovaleski when people alleged that he mocked a disabled reporter at the Times. People hadn't talked about this in months and months and months and months, and he just brings it up. And now suddenly people are talking about it again. It's like, well, why are you reminding people about this stuff that uh, you said that offended some people? He just doesn't seem to be able to let things go. It's just not something that he does. Uh, no matter how small or minor it is. Um, with the baby thing, look, I was there. It was a funny moment. Uh, I don't know whether he was kidding or not as to whether throwing the baby or not, out or not. Um, but look, in the grand scheme of things, in, in, you know, this is a very small, small thing. And, you know, <laughs> ultimately, there are probably much better and more important things to talk about when it comes to the Trump candidacy. But I will say... I have. I was laughing pretty hard yesterday when he was uh, defending himself on the baby stuff. Oh, okay. So he's, you know, and that kind of brings us to the point where, you know, we've had an impression or an image of what presidential is supposed to be and how you're supposed to behave while you're campaigning and while you're in the office. And uh, you know, we've certainly seen humor from time to time, and certainly Barack Obama might might be the funnier president that we've had, one of, one of the more funny presidents we've had. But I just get the feeling that Trump is simply he's not a serious man. And I'm wondering if you have that feeling as well, being around him that long. Uh, He's just not someone that we can take very seriously. And that seems to be troubling to me as far as deciding if the guy should be the most powerful man in the the world. Uh, Well, here's what I'll, I'll say is that, you know, I, you know, 
I, you know, I'm not in his mind, so I'm not going to judge whether how serious he is about his proposals or not. Uh, I will say that his supporters think he's very serious. Think he's the most serious people, person that they, they've seen in decades. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm I'm not going to weigh in on you know the seriousness of his mindset or you know whatnot. But I I, I can say that thousands and thousands of people who go to his rallies. They think he's beyond serious. They think he's the one that's going to save this country. You know, it's you know it's 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 it. There there was no you know he had like 16, 17 primary opponents. You know, in February and now, you know, in the fall, and no one had this level of dedication from his from his or her, his or her supporters. No one did. Mm-hmm. Not Ted Cruz, not Marco Rubio, not Jeb Bush. You know, none of these guys. Uh, these are, you know, I, I I see supporters that go to multiple rallies, follow him like groupies. You know, like like it's a following a Grateful Dead concert a tour. You know, uh, there are people that you know I've met people that have been to like thirty rallies. You know, that's a level of passion that people have. And I'm not sure that people would do that for someone they didn't think was serious. Okay, fair enough. Uh, well, what do you make of the, uh, the, the most recent thing we've, he's been talking about probably too much as well as the Iran ca- cash, uh, you know, thing, uh, video that supposedly he did see or didn't see? Uh, that doesn't seem to matter to anybody in these rallies, right, that he is making stuff up? It was a very, that was a very strange one because um, – so Donald Trump makes – you know talks in detail about this video that was professionally shot uh, by Iran state media or the Iranian military of cash, $400 million of U.S. cash coming off a plane to be given to um, uh, Iran with the – Understanding that this was "quote unquote" from you know from many Republicans' points of view, uh, ransom for uh, American hostages. But it turns out this video doesn't exist. And the campaign, when we you know reached out, pointed us to this Fox News video that was in multiple places and clearly showed Geneva, Switzerland. And but the weird thing is, is that even after this video was debunked, the next day Donald Trump comes out and says, uh, references the tape again. And then again, so again, that becomes a story. Donald Trump is talking about this tape that doesn't exist. And finally, the next day, so yesterday, he tweeted, the video I was referring to showed Switzerland, not Iran. Now, this is notable for a couple of reasons. One, he gave such a specific description, talking about this beautifully shot, you know, professionally shot video, which was not the case. He, not clear why he said that. But secondly, it was notable because Donald Trump d- – he rarely admits that he's wrong, and this was a time where he admitted he was wrong, which he never does. You know, and that that in itself was kind of notable for me, and so that that was interesting, and and so yeah, it was, it was very strange because there was no real benefit to saying that there was this tape. There's nothing that it kind of gave him. Uh, you know, you can you can make the case that his argument was strong enough without talking about this tape. You know, but instead the story became about him making this thing up about uh, a tape. Uh, now, to answer your second question as to what what do supporters think about him kind of being false, sometimes uh, they don't think he is being false. You know, they don't. They, you're, you know, they don't think that he makes things up. They think, in fact, they think he's one of the most honest truth tellers, tells it like it is. People in you know that they know, and so that in itself is pretty notable, to be honest with you. 
okay. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's funny because you, 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 you on in this interview, you are um, you are certainly very reasonable and balanced, and and giving uh, a lot of credit to Trump supporters. Uh, it's funny because when we follow you on Twitter. Uh, unless I'm misreading it, a lot of it seems like you have outrage or you seem like you're, in, you're anxious to point out these interesting things. So I'm, I'm kind of curious how you developed your, the, the Twitter voice. And is that, is that like, you know, um, you know, adjusted over the, the months and, and, and figured out maybe a better way or different ways to communicate the, your points? Well, uh, let me say this about my, you know, Twitter. Uh, it's a very, uh, when, when, when Donald Trump says something that is contradictory, it's really easy to point out, and he uh, and and Twitter is a great means to do that. Rather than you know, if you're doing an evening news story, you have two minutes mm-hmm. and to tell a whole story. With Twitter, I have infinite room to say, for example, Donald Trump if he bashes Hillary Clinton on Libya, well, I can right there point out, no, 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 you were also in support of Libya intervention. When he says I was against the Iraq War from the beginning, uh, it's very easy for me to point out, no, actually that's that's not the case. So Twitter is a very easy and quick way for a reporter to point out, hey, this is, this is, you know, this is incorrect. Um, you know, you're asking a lot of questions about his supporters. And look, you know, if a supporter yells something inappropriate at a rally, you know, yeah, I'm going to point it out. Uh, you know, but mostly what I'm focused on is about what he's saying and what are, what are his positions? You know, where are the, where are the inconsistencies there? And Twitter allows me to point out where and when he's saying those. Uh, so another good example is, you know, Mike Pence last week, uh, you know, Donald Trump's vice presidential nominee, said, you know, he's going to discuss with the campaign lifting the bans on certain outlets covering the Trump and Pence, camp- Trump and- Trump Pence administration. Uh, you see the Trump Pence rally is not an administration, obviously. You know, the Washington Post, Daily Beast, Politico, you know, they, they don't get credentials. Well, it's my job to, you know, hey, I, I consume this full time. I remember that Mike Pence said this a week ago. It's my job to hold him accountable for that. For him, for, you know, so yes, it's easy for me to say every day, hey, it's, it's been a week since Mike Pence said he would discuss lifting this ban, and the ban still exists. Um, so in terms of developing my voice on Twitter, Twitter allows me to very quickly fact check, you know, inconsistencies. And with Donald Trump, there are a number of inconsistencies. And so as a result of pointing them out, I, I think I've been able to kind of build up a little bit of a following. But beyond that, uh, the other thing that I've been able to do that has been able to kind of grow what I'm doing is uh, I put transcripts up of what he says. So I'll transcribe large chunks of what he says, whether it's on television and whether it's on uh, whether it's at his rallies. And that people seem to really, really appreciate that because they like, you know, they like reading his words unedited. Mm-hmm. And so, so that, and so because he, he has such a unique way of talking, he's got such a unique verbiage. Um, and I think that's important because I also think it's important to prevent his, present his words unvarnished, you know, this way when you do get accused of bias or you get accused of, you know, being in the tank, you can say, no, 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 I'm posting exactly what I'm saying in the full context. And so you, you know, you t- you read into that what you will. And so, you know, I think that's responsible. I think that's that's the right thing to do as a reporter. And I, uh, you know, and that, so I and I think I've been able to do that at a decently, you know, I've been able to do that pretty well. Uh, although I'm sure some people will disagree on that. 
<laughs> well, you know, the reaction on Twitter, would you say, is, is mostly positive, half and half, as far as uh, are people arguing that, like, what you're reporting isn't happening, or are they saying you're lying, it's not what Trump said? You get a lot of that as well, or is it sort of uh, po- positive or balanced? Uh, you get a little. I mean, look, do, tr- uh, do Trump supporters, you know, do they push back quite a bit? Yes, they do. Uh I actually appreciate it because it actually makes me into a better reporter and, you know, I like engaging with people. You know, I think it's a, I think it's a, I think it's good to be, you know, kind of an accessible, you know, reporter, so to speak. Um, but I would say it's mostly positive. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I, but I, I've never really measured it per se. I just kind of, I'm doing my thing, you know, and, and if people, if people like it, great. If not, either way, I'm just doing my job. You know, you're never going to make everyone, especially covering politics, you're never going to make everyone happy. You're either tough enough or you're too tough or, you know, you're just, you know, you're just, you know, every reporter gets accused of bias covering politics. Every single one. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter who you are. Every single one gets accused of it. And so you can't, you just have to kind of shut it out. You just have to kind of keep doing your thing um, and be, you know, be confident in what you're, be confident in what you're, what you're reporting and make sure that's correct. Um, and if you make a mistake, it's, it's you know, it, the responsible thing is to own up to it. So sometimes, you know, that's happened a couple of times where I have either misheard something that he said or, you know, and that's, you know, and then the responsible and professional thing is to do, to own up to that. Sure. And the way you just described politics is exactly what it's like uh, in sports. And, um, you know, certainly I, once a month, people will dig up an old Harrison Barnes tweet of mine and retweet it out and try and, uh, you know, discredit me for being wrong on something. And, you know, it's funny. Do you, you have a background in stand-up comedy, as I'm reading on your, your bio. Uh, so how much does humor play into this? And, you know, are you trying to tap into that background as well when you're, you're communicating on Twitter? No. Uh, no, because... Uh I mean, do I try to be funny on Twitter sometimes? Sure, absolutely. I mean, how can you not? Um, but uh, my stand-up comedy, that, that's a totally separate world. And, you know, uh, I, I look forward to uh, – now, I haven't been able to do much stand-up, you know, in the last year because I've been on the road. You know, I've been so busy. Uh, but that was kind of something I did before I went to the trail and will return to after, I'm sure. But it's always been a hobby side thing. But it's something, something that's very separate from my political coverage. Okay. And I refuse to believe you if you tell me that you don't have a lot of material for a routine uh, from this campaign. Uh, you know, again, so as I was saying before, uh, stand-up comedy requires a lot of critical thought. Writing material requires critical thought. I imagine that after the campaign, I will have a lot of material, but I haven't had the time or the mental space to really be able to um, synthesize that. And then the other thing about you know writing you know Trump material or whatever, uh, every comedian does that. Every comedian's talking about Donald Trump and joking about Trump. So it's almost like in some ways the market is kind of saturated, mm-hmm. and. So, like, finding a unique voice with that is kind of uh, a challenge, so to speak, because everyone's making jokes about him. So when everyone's making jokes about the guy, about a guy that, you know, in theory provides, you know, a lot of comedic material, you know, it's hard to be original. You know, but I imagine that come November and December, I will sit down and I will see what I can uh, come up with. 
Yeah, I, I hope so. I think yeah, it probably won't be hard once you actually uh, get away from it, get on that beach, have a drink and uh, and start to reflect. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's uh, from my point of view, obviously, uh, as I, I, people have heard from me before, it's pretty sad. But I think we all know that that's what comedy is. It's just, you know, tragedy plus time. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, as this thing plays out, we'll have we'll have, we can laugh about this one day. <laughs> um you know, one thing before I, before we leave, I just wanted to ask you because it kind of popped up recently. This, this, there's this notion of Melanie Trump, um, you know, having a green card but not being married, and all these kind of different things. And has that has there any more information come out about? I'm just kind of curious when that thing, like things like that, pop up, especially because Trump has been on the record as being a guy who's so uh, intent on having tough, you know, measures to get into the country. Uh, is there any more information about that re- recently? Uh. It's kind of a strange story. So, uh, so Melania Trump uh, says that she was never married before uh, Donald Trump, and they got married in two thousand five. Uh, but an, an immigration lawyer that used to work for a Trump organization told Univision that uh, that Melania Trump got her green card in two thousand one by way of marriage, two, four years before she was married to Donald Trump, and um, it is unclear. As to why that's the case, the campaign hasn't exactly answered many questions on this, uh, like with many things. Um, uh, you know, it's we'll certainly keep asking, but I we, this thing kind of popped late yesterday, so we still haven't seen much on this. Okay, yeah, it's fine. It kind of, it would be kind of fascinating if uh, his wife, of all people, was someone who. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously one of the one of the explanations could very well be that she married some random guy to get a green card, right, or something, and then maybe divorced him later, or or, or who knows what. Um, or I guess the, the irony could be that she was living in the country illegally for a while. I guess the one thing we do know as far as when green cards go is she got it in 2001, and that is indisputable, right? Like that is when she has it. You can't make that up. Well, we don't know. I mean, we don't know which guy. That's that's when the the that's when uh, the lawyer says that she received it. Uh, uh-huh. That's when you know, until until we actually see the green card, see the paperwork, which they're I don't believe they're under any obligation to release. Uh, we you know it's unclear as to uh, as there's a lot of un- my point is there's a lot of unanswered questions here. Fair enough. Well, all right. Well, as we get to this, you know, towards November and the election, uh, what do you think? What do you, who do you think is going to win? Uh, well, I am not. Listen, here's the thing about uh, a campaign covering 2016. Campaign every prediction you know that has been made in the last year, year and a half, has been wrong. <laughs> no one thought. No one thought we'd be in this position. Um, uh, the only thing I will say is, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say who's going to win or who, you know, whatever. But I will say that uh, as of right now, there, Donald Trump has a narrower path to win than Hillary Clinton. Uh, because of the, there, you know, Democrats already kind of had an electoral advantage, uh, more sure states, but uh, states like Colorado are, um, uh, you know, are kind of becoming safe Democratic states where they used to be genuine swing states. Um, you know, uh, the other thing I will say is, uh, look, it's August. We still have three debates. A lot of things can change. So Trump had, look, by you know the campaign's own admission, it wasn't a great week. You know, uh, you know, the poll numbers weren't great this week, but there's a lot, a lot, a lot of time left, still more than three months left to this thing. And so a lot of things can change. A debate can change a lot of things. And honestly, if people start paying attention after Labor Day, 
you know, people, it's the summer, people are away. They're not really thinking about the presidential election right now. But, uh, you know, you're going to, I think you're going to see a better uh, idea of what the race looks like come September in a month, two months. But there's a lot of time left. A lot of things can change. And so it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And, and Trump will debate her. Is that, is that still the official line? That's still the official line, although I think they're trying to get the dates changed. Um, but, you know, it's unclear. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't even think that's possible. This is done, these dates were set years ago by bipartisan debate commission. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the question is whether there's going to be three debates. There might not be. Um, so that, that's, that's the real question is whether it's going to be all three. And mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll see. Uh, I imagine you're going to hear a lot about this in the next couple of weeks. For sure. Well, Sopan, I can't thank you enough for, for interrupting your really busy uh, schedule to join us for a little bit. Uh, and really great insight again. If you want to follow him on Twitter, it's not hard to do. It's at Sopan Deb, S-O-P-A-N-D-E-V. And, uh, again, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And then don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel, we're a conversation. You win. Are you in, Sopan? I am. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>